0: Headliner Radio, the creative voice. All right, welcome back to Headline Radio, Joseph Trapanese. How are you doing, Joseph?
1: I'm really good.
0: How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, where are you today? I think you're in your studio from what I saw.
1: Yeah, just in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. It's sunny, yeah. It's sunny and beautiful and, you know, making me feel lucky to be here. So, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I always love to ask. Some composers, you know, go of the tried and true method of being based in Hollywood or at least California. and. I don't know if that's as vital as it used to be, but have you lived there a long time and do you think it it does help to be in the center of the action,
1: would you say? You know, for me, I wanted to be in the center of the action. You know, I wanted to be in the place where it happens and to make friends and connections out here. You know, I I, I detest the word networking. I much prefer to use the word friends. You know, we're all Mm -hmm. just kind of making art and trying to uh collaborate and that's you know that's what's great about being out here i'm out here and there are people everywhere who are making art you know down the street there are filmmakers and screenwriters literally you know everywhere you go in la so that's a real positive but obviously you know it really depends on if you're a young composer you know if you want to be that artist based in some random location that people seek out and find you know that's certainly a possibility obviously it makes things a lot harder if you're trying to book uh, work or you know get get a gig but there's a certain romance about being someone uh being somewhere else and obviously there are a number of composers who Establish themselves in Hollywood and then kind of retreat <laughs> elsewhere um, where the cost of li- mm. living is better, maybe it's more beautiful to them, maybe it's more appealing to live elsewhere to them, but they've established a certain uh, uh role and a certain uh, role is the wrong word they've established a certain uh, uh level of connections and 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 they're able to work remotely so ultimately, I think it's up to up to you the composer you know where you want to be
0: Yeah, because not only I've spoken to composers who are now in New York or just, you know, their hometowns across America, and even um, composers in Europe who managed to get kind of American film work, which is amazing. And I guess because of the internet, and it's very pertinent to this conversation because I understand a lot of The Witcher was done during the pandemic, so that became very remote in a sense. But um, yeah, I mean, you can literally just go for a coffee with a director who's based and LA right? and that's a very
1: powerful thing <laughs> the, the power of going yeah for <laughs> yeah the power the power of of looking into someone's eyes and talking about art you know as, yeah. as silly as that sounds you know i think there's something uh you know a few months ago we had our first uh playback in you know, years where <laughs> we had a director in the room and, you know, mm-hmm. we listened to a bunch of music and it was, it was kind of a revelation. Uh, again, it made me fall back in love with, with that idea that we are artists creating together, you know? And, and so I, I don't want to understate the, 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 the greatness of that at the same time, you're exactly right. Witcher the we were, we were making music for the Witcher at the height. of of lockdowns for, for the second season. So, you know, I'm, I'm alone in my studio. My, my collaborators are alone in their studios. The producers are, are uh, you, you know, if they're lucky, they're, you know, getting COVID tested so they can go to set and wear masks on Mm. set. So it it really um, I think the crazy thing about the lockdowns was yes, it reinforced Technologically, how far we've come and how easy it is to collaborate um, remotely, and and that truly is wonderful. But it also, it also uh, depressed me a little bit about you know the lack of human connection. And of course, you know, mm-hmm. sure, there's Zoom, there's Google, there's all the all the ways to connect face to face. Still, but it's not the same as you know communing in in one spot and listening to you, you know I'm I. I'm a very practical person, but I do like to speak spiritually sometimes about this. There's something about the air moving in the room, the molecules moving around the room, the speakers vibrating, the instruments resonating in a a shared space with air. You know, a lot of people ask me, oh, were you able to record during lockdown? And of course, you know, we'd send a session to a musician and they'd have a nice home set up and record a beautiful solo for us. And that's great. But, you know, that is not the same as, spiritually uh, communing in you know, with 80 musicians in a room or 10 musicians in a room or, or however many, uh, you know, music is a communal experience. So it is really wonderful how thanks to <laughs> vaccines and safety protocols, we're able to slowly return to, to, to this uh, communal experience.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. It's like either watching your favorite band play live on YouTube versus actually being there and obviously it's <laughs> lovely to watch live music on youtube but you're probably left with the thought i imagine being there and i'm sure it's the same work of musicians in in a room rather than over zoom
1: that's exactly right, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. um yeah so the Witcher, when we we're talking about it today as the kind of emmy awards buzz gets going are you optimistic that the, the show is going to get um some nominations and is it all about the awards for you, or you just happy to, <laughs> to see your work
1: Oh, I, as a recognized. friend of mine, as a friend of mine said, awards mean nothing, and you should win as many of them as you can. So, <laughs> uh, look honestly, I do not do this for the awards. You know, if, if I did this for the awards, my goodness, how sad and depressing would would life be? You know. <laughs> uh-huh. So, I I love making music, and I think it's it's so wonderful when making music and making art um, lines up with. Uh, you know a chance to to celebrate it in a in a way like the Emmys you know um I have zero expectations. I just think we made something awesome. I'm honored to share it with the world and uh uh you know as a, as a television academy member myself you know i i i I do love the idea of of getting together and celebrating the hard work of of the community. I think that's what it's about, and if it so happens that uh i'm <laughs> I'm chosen to be part of the celebration then wonderful but uh but i'm just i'm just happy that my music gets played and people listen to it and people enjoy it and it's part of this amazing uh this amazing series i mean that really Mm. is humbling when you 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 know the, the dirty secret right is that i would be making music whether it was performed or 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 paid for or not, you know, I, I, I have a hunger to create. And um, so it really is just icing when something you create is actually going out there and people are watching it and people are enjoying it and responding and buying the album. You know, it really is magical. (laughs) So it's never lost on me.
0: So I guess the witch has been in our lives since 2019. So a good solid three years. And it's obviously become a huge global phenomenon i mean yeah how do you feel having been part of it for such long obviously longer than the time i've said because you were working on it before it was <laughs> you know, released pre-production yeah How how's it been you know it's it's
1: it's it's such so humbling not only because you know I've, I've been a part of this second season and i get to work with the actors on the songs and whatnot you know there's this whole there's all of that there's a there's a bunch of amazing things to to chat about there but you know the other amazing thing is i'm part of this uh, Witcher universe that, you know, for the game fans out there, there's already such incredible, there are incredible games. There's incredible soundtracks for those games by great Polish composers. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's wonderful to be part of a lineage. You know, I think I I'm very fortunate to be part of that lineage and I'm very, I'm someone who doesn't shy away from acknowledging that lineage. You know, I think, I think composers were guilty oftentimes of trying to paint ourselves as these uh, scions or, or, you know, these, uh, isolated geniuses that I, 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 that couldn't be farther from the truth. Sure. I, I there's a beautiful art and, and magic to what I do. And, and, and I hope people enjoy that and see that, but I'm also so honored to acknowledge the, the idea that we are a community of, of creators, you know, so it's, uh, it's awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, sorry if you get asked this a lot, but did you have a sense of it taking off the way it did, especially I think a huge compliment for The Witcher is it often gets talked about in the same breath as Game of Thrones sort of being the show that um, filled that hole when that that massive long running show finished.
1: Yeah, it, it it is. It's kind of surreal, you know, because because one of the biggest jobs we have as film composers, you know, is to give everything to every project. You know, it is impossible to understand what kind of success. A project is going to have. And, and obviously I, I like to say that I hope everything I work on goes out and makes a billion dollars and makes everyone lots of money and <laughs> makes the world very happy. But you, you know, that unfortunately is not the case. You know, most, most things you will make in your lifetime will, will not be successes like the Witcher. And so it's, it's wonderful to taste that once in a while and, and, and enjoy that, but it's also important to not get used to it and not, not, um, I've made the mistake as a younger uh, artist of of uh, how would I put it? Like, I guess having a certain expectation that something I'm going to work on has a certain oh wow this thing I'm working on is going to be really successful and everyone's going to be really happy with it and then it goes out and you know it doesn't do that and then you get disappointed and 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 that really is kind of the works against you as an artist you know and 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 I've really learned over time I think. Um, that the point of art is not to make money or be successful. It, 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 it's the art itself. It's, it's that you are creating the art of creation. The act of creation, I should say mm. is really the wonderful thing. And yeah, again, it's just so lovely when, when things things fire on all cylinders and of course kind of to answer your question for for real now you do get you do to usually get a sense you say hey you know this is kind of (laughs) cool you know and and it's Mm -hmm. i I can't say i've i've been a part of some really cool global phenomenons like you know like greatest showman and whatnot and you're never going this is going to be a worldwide hit and everyone's going to love it you know but you do go hey there's there's something special here and i sure hope people enjoy that (laughs) And I think it was the same here. You know, there's something there's something special going on and I, I hope people connect with this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to ask about um, how you got the job and were there other composers or musicians being touted for the role before you managed to put pen to paper kind of thing? Or?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, look, Witcher is... It, I was, I was the new guy in season two, you know, there was, there was a pair of composers for season one who are extraordinarily talented Mm. and I couldn't speak more highly of. Um, And so when I got invited to be part of season two, I was very aware that, that I was joining, you know, I was jumping on a moving train, you know, so to speak. So I had to, I had to quickly get my bearings. And um, it was, I I think the reason that I got asked was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good collaborator. They wanted someone who, uh, who was, ready to just dive in and learn this story, you know, no matter how much I got familiar with the Witcher and read the books and whatnot, I I had to get, familiar with exactly this telling and what the goals were for the showrunner. Um, and then uh, it all the more got complicated in a great way when when I, I was asked to work with Joey Beatty, uh, the, uh, who plays Jaskier in the show, who is the bard, the, who's the singer, the musician on set. And thankfully mm-hmm. he's an incredible musician, an incredible writer. So we hit it off immediately on Zoom and just started trading voice memos back and forth of ideas for the songs for the second season. So it was... Uh, jumping on a moving train, but thankfully I found a, a, a cabin full of people who were excited to welcome me aboard and 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 really helpful. But it was really daunting, and I'm very thankful for the crew and 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 all the you know. There's a whole list of credits of musicians and uh, and arrangers and engineers who were just so helpful. You know, getting getting season two off the ground because it was not it was not an easy task. There was a lot to be done. It's almost wall to wall music sometimes. So you know, we have to. We have to have a lot of moving pieces and uh it's it's a real honor to be the figurehead of that
0: yeah and i love you clearly um just all aspects of creativity and art is important to you so in, with that in mind how as you are joining the show that's already had a full season of music how did you approach that with the creators of the show because there's obviously that danger of you know temp tracks maybe from the original <laughs> music and um the worst case was them saying, can you just sort of copy and paste what we had? (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily, which would be very not unexciting for you.
1: No, of course, that is such a thing, right? The whole idea of uh, temp music can be uh, the best way I've heard. I've heard people reference temp music is it's, you know, it's like a hammer. It's a great tool or a great weapon, depending on (laughs) how it's used. So, you know, we were, first of all, we were fortunate that we, we, we're totally fine using reusing music from season one. So there are key moments in, in season two where we have uh, where we're hearkening back to an idea from season one. And I, I think it's important for composers and producers and directors and all creatives to be honest with themselves and not try to pull a, a, a wool cap over someone and say, Oh yeah, I could do that better than those composers. It's like, mm-hmm. no, there's, there's already a, a, a musical vocabulary that someone developed here that people really enjoy. So let's, Absolutely. This moment needs music from season one. And we we whether it was literally needle dropping a, a score cue from season one or or me recomposing, rearranging an idea from season one, that was something we did without uh without feeling weird or guilty and and uh everyone was on board with that. So thankfully that was that was great. Um at the same time, it was really important to me to say, okay, what are the moments where we are growing out of that where we are growing and looking forward at what's coming and we need fresh creative material fresh creative ideas that i uh, that i can only i can do right now and i think that's really important for any composer any artist to um not be insecure to say i'm going to acknowledge when there's something already existing that's great and i'm going to also look at places where i know my strengths are, and I know that I can contribute something fresh and original and cool and beautiful that only I can do. And I think that's really important for all artists out there to 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 uh, not be ashamed of and not be uh, not feel weird about. I think one of my I think my biggest uh, thought on that is the the older I get, the more I do the almost the less I do because the less I'm trying to be something and the more i'm trying to just let myself be an artist let myself be a musician and just let the ideas flow out rather than trying to do what i think people want me to do you know so i think that's uh <laughs> it's kind of comforting to think yeah the older i get the the less uh, the the walls kind of get out of the way themselves if i just let myself be you know
0: yeah cuz i suppose there are wonderful creative ways you can approach uh you know reintroducing previously composed music by um, prior composers, right? I often see films where a new composer will reintroduce a theme in a really cool new way that perhaps the the guy that wrote the music in the first place um, wouldn't have thought of. And But then there's other times, like, you know, take a famous example like Batman with each new version, whether it's the Chris Nolan or the latest version, they'll actually just write a new theme entirely. But so, yeah, how did you approach in particular, like, the existing themes for characters and places etc cetera, etc cetera, within the witcher.
1: You know we we felt it was very important not to do exactly what you notice where you know oh new 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 composer new everything you know i think i think it's really important mm. to have some sort of continuity so there are certain themes like geralt's theme which just continues from season 1 there's no you know we we did variations there's a great art to being an arranger i think you know that's something i take a lot of pride in i've that was kind of my first big break in hollywood was being an arranger so that's an art to me that uh, even in if i didn't write that melody there are so many wonderful creative contributions i can make besides writing the melody you know so that's first and foremost uh one of the first things we spoke about uh when approaching the new season but then it was also finding that also that makes it easy to find places where hey that's not going to work anymore so for instance we do hint at yens theme from season 1 which is a beautiful theme but that slowly goes away and a new yen theme takes over in season two because of where she's going as a character as a mage as a person and almost becoming a mother figure to siri you know it, it demanded something different something more mature something less romantic something more uh serious perhaps and i i I, I feel weird using words like that because I, I don't want to ever imply like, you know, oh, this one's better than that one. That, that That's not the case at all. It, it purely is about um, an evolution in the character. Um, so those are the types of things we think about. I try to make decisions come from uh, a storytelling point of view rather than again back to the whole composer on an ego trip <laughs> type of thing mm-hmm. i'm gonna write my batman theme which is better than the other batman themes you know mm-hmm. I, I i don't know where i'd begin if you had to be a batman movie you said write your new batman theme you know well and honestly i i know where i'd begin i I'd, I'd talk to the creators of the new the new batman or the new whatever the new superman what is th- how is this superman or how is this Luke Skywalker whatever the heck it is how is this different from the previous incarnations why do we need a new theme um and kind of approach it like that and that's exactly how I approached Witcher season 2 was 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 from purely a storytelling point of view and let the storytelling lead the way rather than trying to say, you know, I could write a better theme than that. I think that's a that's a really quick way to to seem silly and to lose perspective. So you know, I try to let the story drive me and and let the let the characters kind of dictate where the score goes.
0: Yeah. I mean on the characters, i had love lovely time watching there's a great YouTube feature out of you working on season two. And you talk about the characters a lot and I guess it's such a character driven story by chief of, you know, Yennefer, Geralt, and Siri. um So, yeah, how how is that for you? And do you kind of take from the kind of Richard Wagner slash John Williams leitmotif approach to things? How Yeah, how do you approach that in particular when, when it's such a character-driven show? And it's a fantasy show, so you, you have every right to do nice big bombastic <laughs> themes every time they appear on
1: screen, right? We do, but, you know, there is a certain... Um... There's a certain element of uh, maybe a dated element to doing something as uh, direct as leitmotifs. I certainly mm. certainly would make my job easier that when you know you see a certain character doing something, I could just play a melody and you know be done with it. Um, but there's mm. a certain there's a certain uh, maybe sophistication is the wrong word, but maybe there you know I think I think in modern film scoring we're asked to be a little bit more. Clever and and sorry, that sounds like I'm saying I'm more clever than John Williams. But I think is the silliest <laughs> thing anyone could ever say. But but we're asked to hold our hold our cards a little bit more to not be so overt, perhaps, with the theme. So yes, mm-hmm. there are moments where you you know you unabashedly play that theme and it plays front and center, and it's that character. But I think I think today's filmmakers are looking for something a bit more nuanced, a bit more. They want to save that power for when they really need it. And and they ask the film composer to be a little bit more subtle with it. So while, yes, there are moments where I do, so I, and, and there is, you know, I definitely am a, a subscriber more or less to that leitmotif uh, idea, that Wagner, John Williams classic idea. Mm-hmm. You know, we're asked to be generally a little bit more subtle. And I try to, you know, it's interesting. I'm I, I'm slowly putting together, you have to check back with me in a, in a decade or something, but I feel like mm-hmm. I'm slowly coming up with this concept where, you know i i try to project where characters are going through the score and whether it's actually where they're going and what their desires are or you know it's a misdirect you know for the audience where this character thinks they're going here so i'm the music is going there but that actually three episodes later we find the character actually can't do that and can't go there uh, and i think that's a lot of what happened in witcher season 2 is where you know at the end of season 1 we think we know Exactly, who these characters are, where they're going. And I feel like season two from the beginning turns it upside down and it's completely different from where we thought we were going. And these characters are thrust into situations where, where they, what they thought their goals were, where they thought they were going, where they thought their uh, life was headed is actually completely opposite and they're forced to adapt. And I think it was a great analogy for me to deal with, I think both personally, because I've dealt with similar things in my life, but also for all of us with, you know, uh, I think most of us were, you know, can think back to, you know, February, 2020 thinking, oh, you know, gonna be a great summer. I'm going to do this, that, or whatever, you know, and then, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, six weeks later or whatever, a few weeks later, you know, we all, uh, our lives were completely different. So I think, you know, what a great analogy for, to deal with this season where, you know, Gerald thought he was going to be a, a cool monster slaying guy, and all of a sudden, he's basically a, a dad. You know, and and mm-hmm. and I think I I, I think the, the the fun thing about that too is I think he loves he realizes he loves being a dad and how much he loves Siri and how much he wants to protect her, and I think that's something amazing to see Henry portray this season. You, you know, just as a fan to say to see someone who is this kind of big strong man who is. Uh, again just this badass monster slayer all of a sudden realize that you know he's this he's a dad and he has emotions and he has he, he he has to care for this person and how to how those emotions almost uh make him weaker but how how does he overcome that weakness and and find what's best for him and his daughter it really is incredible to watch uh <laughs> as a fan mm-hmm. but then also to bring it full circle to what you asked Adam you know i think that is mm-hmm. Maybe it's silly for me as a composer to think like that. Maybe I'm overcomplicating things, but that really is what I think about as I'm scoring. I'm trying to think about the arc that these characters have and how I could project that both, both in a way that leads our, our audience to this inevitable place or perhaps misleads our audience You know that that we think we're going here, but then the payoff is... We actually wind up somewhere completely different. So I think I think music is such a powerful tool in that regard. Yeah. And as you could tell, I'm slowly putting together this concept of how I score, and it. it's it's fun to fun to think about.
0: Oh, a lifelong process, I'm sure. I mean, as you were speaking, I was thinking about how, yeah. I mean, if you take John Williams as the granddaddy of that style of, you know, Darth Vader walks out and the French horns start. That, that's obviously, <laughs> and you know, Jurassic Park. that, that kind of golden age type thing um so you know some of our favorite films ever but film has moved on so much as an art form in general since then right so if you did oh here's Geralt and here's his wonderful heroic theme on the trombones and french horns that would actually sound a bit silly <laughs> no, wouldn't that's it?
1: exactly right you know it, it, it's uh not to reduce it to, to to something like this but you know it's very out of fashion you know to do that that if you did mm. that all of a sudden you're People realize, oh, you're trying to be like that. You're trying to harken back to that, and people think about, you know, they think about, oh, this is like Darth Vader, you know. So, so you're yeah. instantly, you know, the the audience kind of gets pulled out of that moment. Um, and also, there's a certain type of filmmaking involved with being able to do that. And and The Witcher is such a different type of filmmaking, and 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 designed to have a completely different effect on the audience. So, you know, you're exactly right that that was amazing for that point in time. And this point in time, you know, this morning, as I was, you know, on, on my exercise bike, I was watching a movie from 15 years ago that, you know, by all means should not be dated, but because of the score, because of the outfits, because of some of the choices, it felt so dated. And you think, man, 15 years ago, am I, am I really getting that old? I remember Mm. 15 years ago, but, but that is, you know, things change quickly. And, and I'm not trying to say that, that, our job as an artist is to you know just change with the times i'm i'm actually saying the opposite of that if you're if you're trying to make art that feels timeless you need to be aware of what filmmakers are expecting and wanting from you and 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 allow your art to exist within that um that sounds kind of silly but i think i think I, th- I think that really is the crux of what we do as film composers you know we are not Art for art's sake. As much as I like to say that, you know, we're here for the art. We also have this challenge, which is we need to get the job done. We need to make the audience excited. We need to make the filmmakers happy. We need to uh, allow these characters to exist and allow the music to to exist with them. So we need to be very aware of what the expectations are. But then once you establish that that's where you then have more freedom as an artist. And so that's what I'm trying to do is is to uh, have art for art's sake, but (laughs) within this boundary box, you know? And you have to be very careful. And I think art exists at the edges of those boundary box, so to speak. You're trying to push on the edges and find places to do interesting things.
0: No, of course. I mean, um, I suppose it's sort of two-part question. Is your job made easier, firstly, by having the likes of Henry Cavill, you know, on the screen, and being such a, you know, wonderful personality. So, but then I suppose more broadly is your job made easy just by, you know, the entire crew, whether it's the costume department or the producers, the director, everyone involved. Cause I know, I love that you've kept jokingly referred to yourself as the ego composer, but I suppose ego must almost be the enemy as a film composer, right? Cause it's such a massively collaborative creative. It thing, is. Right? So, it's yeah.
1: it, it, perhaps the biggest, uh, Ego check is, you know, when you are ready to write the, the most beautiful piece of music and you're, you're getting ready to deliver this beautiful idea and, and someone says, hey, that doesn't work, you know, and it's, it's our job not to say, oh, are you kidding? Like, this is the reason why it works. It's our, our reason to say, oh, interesting, you know, what what, what isn't working and use that to, as a conversation starter to get you to the piece of music that will work you know and i think i think it's it's really important as a composer to understand that that you are operating within a huge cog in the machine and i think obviously there's a negative way to look at that and be like oh you know all these people telling me you know what to do and telling me how to write my music to me there's a certain beauty in that in that in that because henry is such a fantastic actor because they've done such an amazing job casting this show with with amazing actors and they've done such a great job with visual effects and editing you know it makes my job that much easier because i'll be honest with you i've been on projects where that's not the case and you know the acting's not so great and the editing is not so great and you're all of a sudden going oh i have to really do a lot more heavy lifting and be a lot more bombastic to get the audience excited because this performance that the actor's doing here is not getting them excited, you know? So you have to do, you have to work triply hard and 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 oftentimes those are the projects that perhaps you know don't have the best spirit about them because everyone's frustrated that you know it's not coming out as great so i think you know working on something like the witcher makes my job so much easier because everyone is operating at full tilt um doing such great work that by the time it gets to my studio it's less about going oh my god joe can you fix this can you please add more excitement add more drama add more intensity it's like no we we caught this beautiful amazing performance on screen don't screw it up which which is kind of more uh challenging in a way but uh but it's also more spiritually satisfying because you realize that everyone who has held this before you has taken really great care of it and now they've handed it to you and you know just don't screw it up <laughs> yeah of course
0: and yeah Joseph, we tr- we uh, touched on you know the challenges of season two um it was wonderful to, like i mentioned that youtube feature that, that shows so much of the process um i mean first it was so wonderful to see you, you did work with real orchestral musicians and there's an orchestra mostly in the same room right albeit all wearing COVID masks, but, um, and
1: and and that was that yeah. was towards the end of the season. You know, we saved that for our grand finale. Oh, you know, the cool. first several episodes, we were it was all soloists and tiny little ensembles here and there that we didn't we didn't do any behind the scenes for. But uh, but at the end of the season, we went all out with an orchestra, and it was great.
0: Was that an official orchestra, or did you just manage to get a load of orchestral musicians?
1: That was that together? was in uh, Sofia, Bulgaria. That was a great orchestra put together by Four Four Music F O U R. F O R and they did a great job. And um, you know, and uh we we had a we had a real blast. Unfortunately, it was remote, you know. I couldn't be there, but uh, we're working on we're cooking up some cool stuff for the future. So we'll see. Hopefully you'll see more more featurettes of some cool behind the scenes oh, stuff yeah. that we're doing for the future. So um
0: and then was there quite a lot of uh were there sort of solo? I just saw lots of clips of you on Zoom, basically. And I, I imagine that being quite stressful trying to figure out all the logistics of that obviously you would have had a team behind you helping make it happen was that more with soloists and the kind of solo work or how did that all work prior you to, know, it, to get the orchestra
1: <laughs> it's funny the soloists are usually musicians i trust implicitly you know mm-hmm. that are local either local or maybe they're out of town and we send it. But, but but people I've, I've worked with and so you know i have a certain amount of trust and understanding and shorthand with them so i could just give them a few notes and they, they do it. And it's great. Uh, the remote orchestra thing is a little bit more nerve wracking because, you know, you have a lot of money being spent, (laughs) a lot of resources happening all at once and you can't be there if something goes wrong. But I think that's where, you know, kind of that filmmaking community film music community is really there to help you because everyone wants this to be great. Everyone wants, you know, you to be happy. Everyone wants, uh, the, the music to sound great, the show to sound great. So, you know, luckily in Bulgaria on the ground, they have a great team of, you know, conductor, orchestrator, you know, uh, uh, engineer who are who are just as trained as anyone else I work with. So, so you know, not only am I giving some notes, but they're kind of already giving the notes on all the minutia. So I could just, instead of saying, hey, at bar 42 this was out of tune. And then here, you know, that was behind the beat. And that was that, they're taking care of all the, Obvious stuff, and I could just say, "Hey, you know, like uh, this needs to sound more aggressive. Can we get uh, a stronger performance?" You know, so I'm I I could think more big picture. So thankfully, you know, we have a great team. It sure is more rewarding when I could be there myself and I'm leading the orchestra and conducting. I love doing that. I love being a part of Mm. a visceral part of that process. And we'll we'll get back there eventually. But uh, but this also, this whole process of uh, doing things remotely gives me. Great uh has been a great eye-opening experience to say, hey, there's great people out there too that uh that can do that for me. <laughs> so if I'm too busy, you know, writing the the writing the score because you know I need to rewrite a bunch of stuff, it, it's wonderful that there are these great, great musicians out there who can mm. who can run with it.
0: Yeah, but it's worth saying the orchestra being in Bulgaria, that's not even a COVID thing. That's for some many years now, uh, these kind of orchestras out in Eastern Europe have come to the forefront of, you know. Hollywood and all kinds of areas of the film industry, right? That's just a very recent phenomenon, isn't well, it?
1: Well, it's, it's a mix of things. You know, if uh, certain projects, because of certain union regulations, don't have an agreement in place with the musicians' union, so it makes it makes it, it here in America. Uh, so it's mm. hard to, first of all, there's that. Second of all, you know, if you're dealing with a limited budget where, you know, hey, I want to record, you know, uh, an orchestra of 60 musicians, you know, it just becomes a... Uh, uh, well if i can't afford that here or in london you know uh, the cost of living in bulgaria is is less so the musicians are charging less so you're you're able to do that you know that and that's just being honest about how the business works it's it's mm-hmm. you know would i rather you know, hop in the car and drive down to you know uh, Sony Studios here where there's an amazing recording stage and work with all of my LA musicians that I know and love and and do that. Of course, I would rather do that. But uh, you know, the most important thing is that we achieve something wonderful um artistically um and within budget, you know, it's just the reality of the of the situation. And so you go, okay, I need this, this is the budget, and if the way to do it you know I've, i i had a great experience uh with shadow and bone recording in budapest for instance so mm. um you know i think uh it's a testament to uh the universal language of music i i suppose i've i've uh, previously looked into recording in asia for some projects where i've had uh filmmakers there and uh maybe the infrastructure and the understanding of film scoring isn't as great out there so you'd have to bring bring more equipment there. Whereas in Eastern Europe, they've been doing it so long that there's more of a shorthand. But uh, look, it's just a reality of the situation. So, you know, you had mentioned earlier, you know, uh, composers living overseas. I've, I've been on projects where, or asked to be on projects where, Hey, Joe, we want you to do the score. And, you know, it's like, Oh, never mind. You, you know, the production requires a composer with a citizenship in the EU for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, how do you, you know, how do you fight against that? I, <laughs> I I'm hundred yeah. percent American born here. I have an American passport. What can I do? I, I don't have an EU passport. Therefore I can't work with my friend on a project because of some tax credits. So, you know, it's just a reality of, of the situation. And, you know, you just, uh, uh, hopefully just, just keep on having opportunities to make great music regardless.
0: Yeah, I mean, with all that red tape you've mentioned and COVID thrown into the mix for good measure, was was this very important to you? Um, especially because, let be fully honest, a lot of scores are just, you know, because you've got Spitfire Audio now, which has got to such a high quality. It's almost sometimes I'll be listening to a film score and think, oh, that's probably just software. And I've become so sceptical that then I realise actually they did use it. A- a real orchestra on some of these scores it's almost hard to tell
1: now, it, it is despite all it these is. challenges
0: Were you still hell bent on having that orchestra out in bulgaria on on your score rather than just you know hitting flute parts on your keyboard Never quite <laughs> you same. know
1: i'll put it i'll put it this way um it's very easy to create a very convincing mock-up if you write for the strength of the samples mm. you know there's a reason why modern film music is you know strings going chugga chugga chugga, chugga and brass going ba, you know because that sounds great with spitfire or yeah. orchestral tools or whatever you know uh, chugging strings you know the but what happens when you need to have and, and and I, I want to be very careful about the words I use because I there's plenty of music I write that's chugga, 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 ba, you know. <laughs> so I don't I don't want to appear above this, you know. Um but but there's when you need a certain human element where the notes connect in a way that is that cannot be replicated, where there is a certain amount of intensity and performance and phrasing that no matter how hard you work to mock something up you're just never going to get this immediate human emotion out of the mock up you know something i like to say is you know think about what an orchestra is you know say say it's 40 people that's a small orchestra right and say mm-hmm. every musician in that room has spent 30 years studying their instrument and that's that's low you know because most people start playing when they're five to ten years old so you're mm-hmm. dealing with a relatively young orchestra you know there could be people on that orchestra who are 70 years old and they're you know they've been playing for 60 years you know mm-hmm. so so that's low so small orchestra 40 years low amount of of years 30 so 30 times where you are you have over a millennia of musical experience in the room uh, and then you have inevitably some musicians who are playing instruments that are 50 100 300 years old um uh and then and then not only so So you have these instruments that have been around longer than any of us have been alive um and then you have in every millisecond that passes and i, and I say this because i i'm a former orchestral musician myself i used to play trombone mm-hmm. and i know what it's like sitting in orchestra you are not just playing the note in front of you. You are not like a MIDI program where, you know, it says play this note from here to here at this level. And that's it. You are constantly listening to the musicians right beside you and in the room. And you're trying to understand the music that you're playing at a deeper level where you are contributing to the overall affect of something and you are constantly making tiny adjustments. So you know, look in a hundred years and is the AI going to be able to do that level of minutia? Perhaps it can. Mm -hmm. Um, but we are nowhere close to that. So, you know, that's the reason why it's important for me to, to connect on a human level is that there is a certain amount of vibrating energy in that room. Um, that is magic and it's magic for all those reasons. Sure. We could break it down to a science, um, so yeah, it's it's a certain it's a certain thing, right? I I I think I think in this streaming age where you know there's more being more and more being created, there's more and more work to be had. Composers are booking themselves more and more and more, and the budgets are tighter tighter than ever. You know, the worst way to stand out is by just writing for the samples because everything you turn on TV, you know, you hear the same Spitfire samples. So mm. so so it's really important to find ways to not be that if, if if you want to be unique and stand out, you know. So so I I I'm I'm fully aware of how I'm guilty of just writing for the samples sometimes, but uh it's a very complicated issue and uh it's fun to talk about.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Um yeah, so final Witcher question, especially having said all that, how did you yeah, especially practically and musically, how did you approach um in terms of you know insurance and sonic palettes and um Yeah, avoiding just being another sample pack user how yeah what was your approach if you can sort of summarize that somehow
1: Uh, you know i approach it like casting you know or how Mm. i imagine casting i've I've never cast a movie i'm just a musician here but but i cast a a group of musicians so i tried to you know if they're soloists you know i try to say okay this is the group of people i'm relying on and episode after episode we're hearing that violinist we're hearing that cellist we're hearing that flute player you know so so there's a certain cast and they understand what i'm trying to do they understand what the goals are um that's element number 1 element number 2 is you know, things in scoring get very messy very quickly because there are such firm deadlines and there's so much to be done. And, you know, it's very difficult to create music uh, under deadlines, you know? So what I try to do is I try to start as early as possible. Um, So for instance, I have some new shows that I'm about to work on that I haven't scored a frame of picture, but I've written tons of musical material and I'm 100% open to throwing that material out there's no reason to uh, uh, be over attached to something, but the point is, I'm putting a certain amount of creative energy and authorship um, into the art itself, so that by the time I get picture turnover and I'm scoring something, it's less about oh my god, what is this character? Who's this character? What are they doing? You know, I've already read the scripts. I already understand who the character is. I already understand what they're doing. Now it becomes about the the physical. Or maybe physical is the wrong word, the 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 logistical challenge of scoring the scene with the material I've already written. Um, and again, sometimes it doesn't work and I have to rewrite something on the spot, but the the point being, I've already come up with some answers to big questions. Uh, and Mm -hmm. so I could focus on scoring a scene and that allows, you you know, a full disclosure. I have a team that works with me on, on these shows where you have these deadlines, but it allows them to move, you know, it allows them to be able to understand what I want and what my goals are rather than saying, I don't know what I'm doing. Just (laughs) go write some music, you know? So that's the goal is to really set up the creative, uh, the creative palette early so that, so that when you are logistically or physically or whatever, creating the score for the show, it's less, oh my God, what am I going to write for this character? And more, how do I score this scene with this beautiful material or whatever that I've already uh, imagined?
0: No, incredible. Thank you. Um, and for someone like yourself, I just love asking, what have been the kind of highlights of your career so far, really? And it's just great that we've talked about collaboration because I know on I believe you got to work with M83, and I know there's a guy called Tom Cruise was in that <laughs> film. And, um, I know you got to work with like Mike Schneider on the Raid, Mike Schneider from Lincoln Park. Of course, there must have been incredible experiences. And Yeah, just whatever comes to mind across your career that really gives you that warm feeling in your tummy. From uh,
1: career, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I think I think what w- what comes to mind really is those moments where I felt like we were just firing on all cylinders, where the entire Crew involved had a spiritual connection with a project. I know that sounds so mm. cheesy, but I feel mm-hmm. like you know, Greatest Showman was like that, uh, Tron Legacy was like that, and, and 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 to a certain point, you know, I have to be very democratic as a composer, and not say, oh, those are my favorite projects. I just I just remember mm-hmm. there being such moments where we sat down with something and everyone involved knew where we were trying to go, you know, oftentimes my work with Joe Kaczynski really is like that. Like, you know, you had mentioned oblivion, obviously Tron legacy is like that. There's a movie we did called only the brave. That was really special um, to us. That felt like we were really in sync. And there's a new movie coming out called spider head. That that was like that, that we did that that's on Netflix in June um, where you're just kind of going in this direction where, I, you know, I'm not the genius who thought of Spiderhead. I'm not the George Saunders, the the short story writer. Or I'm not Joe Kaczynski, the filmmaker. But the vision is coming through so clearly that I have no choice but to feel so invested in this that mm-hmm. I all of a sudden feel like I'm part of the story and I'm making music that is and kind of vice versa. I'm not making music that is my music. It's the music of this film. It's the music of this character. It's the music of this filmmaker or this storyteller. And I think that's, you know, great, you know, like oblivion. You mentioned where this, this score is not, is not my score. It's the score of Tom Cruise's character. You know, it's a story of, of, mm. of, of Jack tech 49. Gosh, that was so long ago now, almost 10 years ago, we were working on that movie, but, but the idea being that, that you are trying to create something timeless. That is not, just you that is that is existing outside of you um for the world to enjoy that hopefully you know a million years from now someone someone mm-hmm. still remembers that silly thing you did you know and, 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 and it's not about you you know that it that you become part of this lexicon part of this this continuing human experience and i, I know that sounds kind of silly but but isn't that why we all you know why we have families and why we have create create art is we're trying to be part of this humanity that's that's deeper than the day-to-day monotony of being human you know so i think that is the most those are the most special things to me the raid was certainly one of those with with mike shinoda you know where where gareth the the filmmaker was just creating this scrappy you know scrappy martial arts film that Mm -hmm. was not a martial arts film that is this you know trapped in a building you know you're just you feel like you're part of something special, and I think that is the magic. Every time I say yes to a project, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that project, I'm, and and part of the reason I say yes to doing something is I think there's a chance that that we could have that magic again, you know, in that project, and that that really is the, you know, kind of to bring it full circle to your question about being in Hollywood, you know, versus being elsewhere. I think I'm I'm in Hollywood because it gives me the best chance to have that connection you know and i think it 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 becomes very hard if i wasn't in hollywood if i and if i didn't have any credits if i didn't have any experience it becomes harder for me to be in a position to say yes i'm going to do that project that has an opportunity for me to do something really cool um and i that makes me have to say no to other projects you know i think i think that's something very important for for people in Hollywood, for composers to feel secure in saying, I, I say no quite a bit, you know, no, I'm not going to do that project because it's not connecting with me in that, in that way. And, and I, am I, I you know, maybe there's a composer that will connect with it in a better way. And, and I so I'm going to feel secure in, in turning that down. So I think, um, yeah, there's, there's a certain level of trying to do something beyond yourself in this and, and trying to, I don't know. It's getting very spiritual here. Sorry, Adam.
0: <laughs> no, of course. It's making it human. And Hollywood is such a huge juggernaut, but it's wonderful that someone like yourself wants to make it uh, human. And that's a very weird segue into um, your studio. I'd just love to ask about um, yeah your studio a bit. And um, I know in particular you use JBL. That's a very big part of your work, right? Which products are you using from those guys?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I have these discontinued speakers. I'm bummed that they just, I, I, I think there's oh, 60, really? Oh, 6332s are my mains um, with Bryston amplification. Um, I use Sunfire subwoofers. Uh, and, and it's funny years ago when I worked with Daft Punk on Tron legacy, you know, I, I just had a very humble home set up at the time. And I walk into mm-hmm. the studio they had built to do Tron and there are these enormous Adam speakers with 12 inch woofers and, subwoofers and what i'm like oh my god this these are speakers are huge this this is hmm. too much it's going to be like you know bumping you know bumping uh the bass in here like what are we doing but then i really i realized you know once i got to the technical aspect in film music you operate at these very high um collab- uh, calibrations where you're calibrating your speakers to 75 to 80 db which if you listen to a pop track a mastered pop track in that environment your head's going to explode but you know, we need the dynamic range. We need, and we need to be able to uh, operate much more quietly, and also allow to, to us to feel more bass. Because you're doing these, cin- you know, cinema operates. The, I, I say to a lot of young composers, take what you are doing and put it an octave lower, and that's where cinema music exists, you know, pop music and, and, and classical music that we're trained in, that we we grew up listening to exists in like the vocal range, the, you know, very direct range, but film music, we have to exist with vocals, which are, which is the dialogue. So, you know, so getting back to the JBL thing, you know, I, what I found with those speakers was that, um, they weren't. Uh, You know, there are so many engineers out here working on speakers that are, you know, 10 times more expensive, perhaps, you know, that that are, you know, so much fancier and you, uh, you, uh, but they have no comparative uh, equivalent in the modern world. Whereas I hear what I do on the JBLs and I go to a dub stage, I go to a theater. I go to a small home setup. I go to my car, and and I know, like it translates flawlessly because I think the technology in those speakers is based on the technology in the real world versus you know the proprietary technology and you know a hundred thousand dollar set of, of 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 speakers, which uh, you know. Sorry, no offense to the people who've invested that money, um, but you know I'm trying to create something that is going to connect with. The 99% of people who are out there consuming it, you know, so, you know, that's really important for me to have a room that translates, you know, I, um, other technical stuff I write in pro tools, which I know is very odd for composers, but to me, that is, that connects me to the pipeline of production in a way that I, that, that there are barriers in every other. DAW, you know, that that you are not using the same software that your engineers, your music editors, the dub mixers, the recording studio. So it allows me to have a very fluid backwards and forwards pipeline with recording music um, and delivering music It allows me to be really flexible to the point where I'll be on a dub stage operating with finished stems still making tweaks if necessary and adding musical material if necessary in a way that is very fluid and allows me to, um, you know, I have an, I have an S six in my, in my main room, which allows me to also mix and have, I have several pro tool systems in there that allows me to mix the biggest projects I do in there. So the, and that was the biggest improvement I made perhaps was mixing in-house. You know, I used to mix, you, you, you do a project, and then you'd hire an engineer, and, and you'd go mix somewhere else. And I'd be in an environment that was new to me or foreign to me, and I'd be trying to give um, constructive feedback to a mix. And then I'd go to a dub stage, and I say, "Well, this doesn't sound like what I was trying to do at all," you know, because uh, I went somewhere where I have no no feedback. Where now I basically mix in the room I write in. So i'm always having the same viewpoint and perspective and you know that's something unique to me i know there are a lot of composers out there who maybe aren't as production oriented as i am i'm very picky about the sound of my scores i get into the engineering of them i get into i talk with my engineers about you know mic positioning and 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 perspectives but i feel an analogy to the great filmmakers where they're really into the lensing of their films. They're into the lighting of their films. I really think it's the same for me as a composer. I'm into how my score is being captured and created and disseminated. Um, and, uh, and and so it's, it's been a real improvement uh, to have that in-house to a point where I, when I deliver a score, it's exactly what I wanted. And when I go to the dub stage, because of everything I just mentioned, i'm no longer surprised i'm 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 starting back at a neutral position where everything we do at a dub stage is now additive to the process, added based on storytelling rather than oh, it's not sounding like what I wanted. I need to fix this, <laughs> you know or why why is it not sounding how I want it to be so so anyway, long story short or mm-hmm. just like my friend says long story longer <laughs> um, <laughs> i've I've done all these things to to try to make the composing process and and it's important to remember that all this production all this gear all this stuff we're talking about is really in the service of the art right it's it's i'm i'm doing this to try to shorten the distance between my brain as a composer and the audience's ear as a viewer so that when i see a character or read a script or score a scene when i hear something in my head right that i Am able to transmit that into the audience's brain that the audience is hearing, you know, because that's why I get hired, right? You know, people come come to you going, we want you for your artistic perspective. And so I'm trying to make things such that I can deliver my unique brain or whatever to this audience. And if part of my process, like I was saying... You know, taking my mix to another studio um, in an environment that I'm not familiar with, all of a sudden it's like you took my brain and put it through a filter that now I need to try to reconstruct that in a way that the audience is hearing what I intended. If I mix in house with the scenario that I I I want when I go hear that final final thing, all of a sudden it's it, it, it's it's a much shorter trip, <laughs> so to speak, from my brain to the audience's ear. Um, a lot of heady stuff but i like to say that you know the modern film composer is is closer to rick rubin than than john williams i think you know yeah, um yes. we we are very much we are especially because like you said so much of what we do is, is samples and synthesizers and produce in the box that we need to be very aware of how production affects our score I don't ever want to be in a position like I was when I was much younger. And, you know, there's we all have our blind spots, but when you're younger, you're, oh, this is so cool. I'm uh, trying to figure out how to do this. And all of a sudden you go, why is this not sounding how I want? And, you know, my whole process has been and my whole, all my goals have been to get to the point where I could really understand every element of the production process so I could use it to my advantage to deliver a great, beautiful score where all that stuff, while we're talking about it here, all that stuff is completely transparent, and all you are hearing is this artistic viewpoint I have. Sorry, Adam, I just I no, talked nice. for a long time about that, but it's important to me.
0: I always take that over guests just talking for thirty seconds, and I'm scrambling to think of <laughs> a new <laughs> question. Uh, so, last quick thing on JBL, do, like you mentioned, you've been had the humbling experience of being in Daft Punk studios. I'm sure countless studios. So how how have you found your JBL speakers compared to all the incredible speakers you've um <laughs> Got to hear music on.
1: You know, to me, it's really about results, right? You know, I feel very secure about the results of my mixes and production um after, you know, uh, putting my new system in place. I feel like it's what I hear when I hear The Witcher, when I hear Shadow and Bone, or when I hear, you know, Spiderhead, which just wrapped you know, what I'm hearing on the dub stage, what I'm hearing on an iPad, what I'm hearing in a theater is what I intended, right? So, you know, I'm, I have friends I've in my home theater, I have BNWs like old B&W speakers. That I love the sound of, they sound amazing. I love listening to music on them. Um, And, but they're very different, you know? So I, 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 I have a very open mind, you know, when I go here ATCs or PMCs or insert speaker name here, if they're of a certain quality, generally it's going to be satisfying, right? You're going to sit there and be mm-hmm. like, wow, that's incredible. But you know, the, my viewpoint, my judgment is, is this going to sound incredible everywhere, even in my, crappy car, you know? (laughs) So, um, so I think that's, that's the standard I'm looking at. And, 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 you know, oftentimes when I, uh, Mix when I've again when I've mixed on these super premium brands that are so boutique that it, it, you know you can't get a repair in less than six months or something, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know they just don't hold up in the real world. Or right? and, and it's not necessarily that they sound bad. It's just uh, uh, you know to the average person you know they might sound incredible. To me they might sound incredible, but it's not what I intended. And I think that really is the. The, the boundary right between you, you know is it working or is it not working is it it might sound incredible, but if it 's not what I intended as a composer, if it 's not a producer, then it failed you know no matter how beautiful it sounds so that's really a standard to which i 'm judging things, I guess, which is very unique and very very uh rarefied i suppose uh, i I, fr- I fully appreciate the the extreme position i'm in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think of how lucky I am to to be able to work in that environment yeah. with such exacting standards, you know. But uh, but that really is the way my brain works. So, amazing,
0: Joseph. Thanks so much. So, um, yeah. Finally, what's coming up? I know it's wonderful to hear that you mentioned Spiderhead is close to your heart as an upcoming, or yes. should I say, soon to be released? So soon, yes. Yeah,
1: June 17th. And then you, you, you know, I, I, I thought I'd have a longer break, but I have Shadow and Bone and The Witcher coming back. So, so I have uh, seasons two of Shadow and Bone coming up and season three of The Witcher coming up. So, it's, it's very exciting to, it's always exciting to get that call to, hey, you know, we want you back to come back and do some stuff. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I, I didn't screw it all up. So, um, always nice to have that, uh, to have that call. And, and then, and then actually, very much worth mentioning, um, there's a beautiful, um, uh nature documentary series I scored called America, the beautiful uh, coming out uh, this July, I believe on Disney plus I'd never scored uh, a, a series like that um, uh, with Nat Geo Disney plus uh, I'm so grateful for the producers to say, who said to me, Joe, we don't want the standard nature sound. We want you, we want your sound. We want you to be a part of this. And, and, and I feel very proud of that series and how, and what we did. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, lot coming out um uh, some of it not coming out so soon i don't think shadow and bone and, and witcher is, uh they've even announced release dates dates they're quite in the future but uh, a lot of work goes into those series and and then we're, we're deep into it so it's very exciting
0: oh amazing great well joseph thanks so much for talking to me so it's been wonderful
1: thank you for having me Adam. Yeah, Thank Honored you. headliner radio supporting the creative community